You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Hey, everybody, this is Gene Marks. You're seeing me live, and alongside me, on this side or that side, is uh, <laughs> my co-host, John Adaconis. John, it's, it's, this is great. We are actually seeing each other as we're having a conversation um, which is uh, an amazing, you know, before COVID, we used to do this face-to-face, right? And then I haven't seen your smiling face in a long time, at least it, not face-to-face. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's strange, but good to be back uh, back as live as we can be in this world, you know? Yeah, it really is. And so I just have to, you know, you have to do your best when I say something stupid to try and not, <laughs> you know, show like an expression on your face or roll your eyes, okay? Because the, the world can see you. <laughs> Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, We have a great conversation planned today uh, with Julio Cassiano. He is a deputy district director of the Small Business Administration. And as you guys know that that sort of follow this podcast or or now watching along with us, um, John and I kind of split up the conversation a little bit. I've got a bunch of questions to ask Julio just to start with. I know John's got some questions to ask about some other loan programs and what the SBA is up to. But First of all, we brought in, uh, let's bring in Julio, and um, so we can say hello, there he is. Julio, how are you? Hey, good morning, and thank you for inviting me and the SBA here to have this uh, wonderful discussion this morning. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, you were telling us before we actually went live, you're based in Hartford? Yes, I am. Tell uh, us a little bit about yourself. Sure. The the Connecticut District Office is located in downtown Hartford at 280 Trumbull, and each state has an SBA office. So all the programs and everything I'll be talking about are similar in any other state that you, uh, your business or your or where you want to transfer to. Would uh, You could easily go to one of the SBA offices there. All right. That's great to know. Um, so, Julio, so I'm going to start out with some questions. And, John, jump in, obviously, if I'm leaving any gaps. But I actually wanted to just talk to you a little about the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, sure. um, if that's okay. Um, there, there are two parts to this program, but let me talk about the loans part first. Can you give us, we're having this conversation now, it's like the middle of November. Number one is, um, can you give us a status of the program and also update us on when it expires? The mm-hmm. program itself, just to say, I've been reading that, it, 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 some place I'm reading that it doesn't expire now, it's been extended to the end of 2021. So can you just update us on what the program is and, and how long we have to apply? Uh, that was a declaration that was uh, uh, first, uh, uh, Connecticut was one of the uh, first states back in, in March of 2020 to declare COVID as a disaster. Mm. And uh, what had happened then, uh, it rose to the level of going from the governor of the state of Connecticut uh, to the president of the United States. And then at the same time, other states also were filing to declare COVID as a disaster back in, in March, as far back as, as we're talking over uh, almost two years. And when COVID at that point was basically ravaging around the country and, and expanding, uh, uh, back then, President Trump then uh, signed the authorization to declare nationally uh, COVID as a disaster. What that did, it rose to the level of a declaration similar to a hurricane mm-hmm. or a tornado. Uh, right now in Connecticut, uh, uh, we were just uh, uh, issued a declaration for uh, Hurricane Ida that ac- occurred back in September. Mm-hmm. So now we have two economic injury disasters 
what we refer to or you refer to as idle going on now in the state of Connecticut. Once for COVID, which was declared back in March of 2020. And as you had mentioned, all these declarations have a beginning and an end. Uh, the idle COVID-19 declaration will end on December 31st, 2021, unless there's an extension by Congress. I see. Uh, so for right now, anyone that's interested in applying that owns a business and has not applied, they have now literally a short window of time to apply because of the hard date of December 31st. Okay. Some questions about that, those loans as well. There are 3.75% fixed interest, 2.75% if you're a nonprofit, and they're 30-year maturity. Um, so first question is, is there, is there still money available for these loans for businesses that still need to apply? Yes, there is money. It was allocated through amendments under the CARES Act. So okay. there is a funding right now available <clears throat> through the end of December 31st. <clears throat> After December 31st, funding or no funding, it ends. Got it. Um, if you're a business that's applying, you're applying directly through the SBA for this, not through a lender. Um, that's my understanding. But also, um, what are the requirements? Like, how is a business eligible still for these loans? They, do they just have to be in the disaster area, or do they, do they literally have to prove that they were affected by COVID? Uh, what's interesting is that COVID, uh, the way uh, the declaration was declared, and there have been a number of, of amendments uh, since March, it allows any small business in the contiguous United States, including uh, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, Guam, to apply into the program. Okay. What they have to do is basically provide that they were in operation as a business back in January of 2019. So as long as the, for instance, if you're a new company that just started a month ago, right. you would not be able to apply because the disasters, the way declarations are, are declared is you were impacted on the date of the declaration. So uh, COVID was declared back in March of 2020, but there was backdated to the beginning of COVID, which was tracked to uh, January right. of 2020. And that's how the declaration and the requirement under the program means that the business had to have been impacted uh, in that year. And I then see. they apply any other year after that, as well as the program still running. Because uh, some, some of my clients or some of the people that I, you know, and readers and I talk to, um, you know, I, I don't think they really realize that even if they had a decent economic year in 2020, for example, um, if, if they were just located in, in the U.S., the entire country has been declared a disaster zone, right. they would still likely be eligible for an, an idle loan, an economic injury disaster loan. Is that, is that right. a fair statement? That is true. That is okay. a fair statement. Other question for you. Um, when President Biden um, recently issued his, uh, you know, the, the mandates around vaccines, he had a little change to the economic injury disaster loans. I think businesses can now use proceeds of those loans to pay down existing debt? Is that correct? Right. They're limited under economic injury. The, the word economic injury uh, under the what we call standard operating procedures, which are the policies and procedures in place for disaster lending, right. is for working capital. The right. definition of working capital is basically for operating expenses that are probably under one year. Right. And it's not for capital expenditures, for instance, paying uh, uh, to buy a truck, uh, pay to buy, uh, to renovate your property, expand it, 
That's not the purpose of the economic injury disaster law. It's just basically to keep your business in operation the way it was before the, the whatever the economic injury was. In this case, it's COVID. So if you were doing $100,000 in revenue, the idea behind COVID is to keep you at $100,000 in revenue uh, by uh, helping you with your operating expenses, inventory, accounts payable, that kind of stuff. What's been happening is that debt loans are out there that a lot of these small businesses have to pay down and they're, mm-hmm. and they're weighing on them mm-hmm. because they were shut down. So what, what the administration did was then add into the language that a business can now include a pay down of their debt through the idle loan proceeds. That is, uh, I think that's also an enormous benefit and one that a lot of businesses aren't aware of um, because again, it can help free up capital for those businesses right. by taking an idle loan and, and paying down existing debt. And let's also not forget that the idle loan is, you know, it's 3.75% interest, you know, Julio, which is slightly around market rates now, but, you know, a lot of my clients are really expecting interest rates to go up over the next year or two. And if you can fix debt at 3.75% for 30 years, 30 years. Yeah, it could look like a genius move, you know, a couple of years from now. <laughs> plus, there's a, plus, there's a deferment of anywhere from 24 months to 18 months, depending on when you took the loan, uh, when you took the idle loan. Okay, so it's deferred. Let's switch over to grants now. That's okay. Um, so, you know, we talked about the economic injury disaster loan, but it also comes with a grants, you know, a, a grant part of it to it as well. Can you can you explain that to us, to our listeners, to our viewers? Sure. What happened back in December when they also added other amendments into the to the uh, COVID relief uh, uh, program, it also included money to focus in inner city or small and minority owned businesses that were really being impacted by COVID uh, or that did not have an opportunity to apply in previous uh, funding. And so what happened was that funding was provided through Congress to allow for certain businesses, doesn't have to be minority, it doesn't have to, it could be any business that's located within a low income sector that is mapped at sba.gov disaster. Mm-hmm. So if you go into sba.gov forward slash disaster and, and, and search for the mapping tool, you could easily put your address into the mapping tool. And if your if your address is within that that zone, then you can qualify for up to ten thousand dollars of economic injury grant on the refer to it as a targeted advance. But there's a caveat to it. Not only do you have to be located within the within that mapping area, but you also have to demonstrate a thirty five percent decrease in revenue between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. And it's not the whole year. It's only just a couple of weeks. If I'm correct, it's eight weeks. You have to sh- demonstrate that within that year-to-year uh, comparison, you had a 35% decrease. Hmm. What's good is that they used 2020 as the barometer. 2019 should have been your strongest year. 2020, yeah. most businesses lost 20, 25, 50. Some even might have not been able to get regain 10% of their revenue. So if you're in a low-income community, you can demonstrate a 35% uh, decrease between one year and the other. You are then entitled to the $10,000 grant. Here's another caveat. If you can 
provide that you lost more than 55% within the map you know, that you're located in the mapping area, then you can also get an additional $5,000 for a total $15,000. That is amazing. You know, I, I did a little research on some numbers. Um, so I don't expect you to know this off the top of your head, but there was about $3.8 billion, um, you know, of, of grants um, that have been issued um, of the 30 billion that's been approved for this program. So it's a little bit more than 10% of the money has been used, which means 90% is still there, which is, which is incredible. Why do you think that's the case? I mean, this is, this is like free money. Most businesses suffered that decline in 2020 versus 2019. Um, why aren't more businesses applying for these grants? Uh, it, it, it's it's something that I, I ask. I, I do a lot of webinars and I try to uh, uh, let uh, the audience know that these grants are available. Mm. It's not for me to hide it. And this is money that has been appropriated, allocated and available. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you apply for an idle loan, you will also be put into the, the targeted advance. So what SBA has been doing is they've been soliciting by mailing out emails to all of the, the, the existing idle applicants or that they, they, they have an idle loan if they're in that sector. Uh, because SBA has been able to map uh, uh, nationally all of the uh, areas that have been targeted as low income through the, uh, through the census. And then they've been issuing emails or advice notices to these borrowers that they're in these markets, please apply for the uh, targeted loan because they have to request for it. it you know, it just sure. does not, you know, uh, be issued to them automatically. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you're trying to get, you know, these people to take money that, that are due to them. Listen, Julio, if there's any spare change left over near the end of the year, me and John are completely fine. Yeah, you know. <laughs> the yeah. Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Uh, <laughs> the way Congress works, the minute uh, the clock strikes 12, thir- uh, 1231, that money's uh, uh, swiped out. Yeah. It just okay. goes back to Treasury. And I do understand that there's uh, in the infrastructure bill, and I'm not sure how much of this impacts the SBA, but some of the, you know, a good part of the funding is to use unused, you know, COVID relief funds as part of the infrastructure bill. So, uh, you know, that, that may have an impact on whether some yeah. of this money gets extended to next year. John, I've been, you know, you know I've been, I've been you know, taking up all of Julio's time talking about EIDL, the loans and the grants. Um, before I turn it over to you, I just want to say to all of our listeners and, and viewers that this is like money that's out there. It's available for you. Uh, if you haven't gotten an idle loan, you're, you're, you're likely eligible for it. The whole country's in a disaster area. You can use it to pay down existing debt now um, to fix 30-year loan. And if you're in any one of those economic opportunity areas uh, where you can get up to a $15,000 grant, I mean, for goodness sake, guys, yeah, let's take advantage of this as soon as we possibly can or else the you know time's going to run out. So John, let me turn it over to you. Um, yeah, I know you've got some questions to ask Julio, too. Awesome. Thanks, Gene. And thanks, Julio. And thanks again for joining us today. Hello. Um, thank you for having me. Anytime. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good conversation for our listeners. But aside from the the COVID relief programs that we talked about a little bit or kind of the emergency relief, you know, I, I don't know that 100% of small business owners or aspiring small business owners are really clear on like what the SBA does or what a local chapter right. of the SBA does. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? So you know, kind of how someone might engage with you or what kind of services you provide for small businesses? The SBA is not new. 
we've been around since the 1930s mm-hmm. under uh, the Reparation Act uh, that was part of, of the Depression era, trying to re- uh, recover from the, de- the Great Depression back in the 1930s. The president back then created a, a agency within within uh, the government to help uh, businesses to get back up in their on their feet. This this continued up through uh, 1953 when the Eisenhower administration then basically, along with Congress, created the Small Business Act, which is really creating the Small Business Administration from that point of view. And within that act, there was this caveat within it that said 7A. And 7A basically is the ability bestowed by Congress to SBA that we can then become a lender in various fashions. And the lending for business. For instance, uh, if you look at HUD, HUD does lending for residential uh, owners. If you look at um, uh, USDA, USDA provides capital for farmers. Well, the SBA then was created specifically to assist small businesses nationally. And through the Small Business Administration, which was created back then, uh, through amendments and changes and ratifications, we basically are where we are today. And the way SBA is structured is that we provide capital to small business. And under certain conditions, which are disaster uh, conditions like we are now, or if FEMA, if there's a presidential declaration uh, for a disaster, SBA rises to uh, to that level of a lender. FEMA provides grants and assistance, infrastructure, and everything in a case of disaster. SBA steps in and provides the hard capital through a loan. So we don't provide the grant during a disaster. We provide the mechanism to provide you with with cheap capital to help your business survive that disaster. Now, saying that in normal times, no disasters, nothing like that, then our bread and butter program is something called the 7A. That's written into Congress. And what that is, is a guaranteed program. Every year, Congress has to uh, approve, uh, extend guarantees through various agencies such as HUD, uh, you know, even even the student loan funds. Well, SBA is in there. And these guarantees then allow SBA to take that guarantee and then use it to uh, guarantee lenders who will take on the risk of, of providing the cash. Any any lender that's been approved or sanctioned by SBA to lend, then they would underwrite their loan from anywhere from $10,000 up to $5 million, which is our cap under the 7A, and they could do any type of structured loan. They could do real estate, they could do uh, uh, equipment, working capital, using our, our 7A. Usually, the, 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 what kicks off the difference between a conventional loan at a bank and an SBA loan at a bank is the risk. Do they have the appetite to do that risk? If the lender does not have the appetite to do the risk, they can look at SBA's guarantee to lessen the risk and take on the, the borrower. I'll give you a, a quick, for instance, restaurants. Restaurants are very risky. 75% of them go under in three years. Most of them don't survive more than three years. Most banks don't do restaurant lending unless you have a lot of experience, probably been with that bank for many years. Usually they want two years of, of proven um, viability before they actually lend to you. So if you're a startup and you open the restaurant today, or you plan to open a restaurant tomorrow, chances are the lender is going to tell you, we can't lend you strictly because of the risk. 
However, here's where SBA now stands in. The bank turns the pages and sees, oh, restaurants are, are included as a way of lending using the SBA guarantee. So the lender now lessens their risk and they will take on the, uh, uh, they will then extend the loan to that restaurant. And we will now guarantee the bank and we'll take the risk through SBA, which basically, if you think about it, it's the taxpayers. We, you know, the SBA guarantee is a taxpayer program. At the end, the taxpayers are taking on the risk that that business is good for the money and, as, and the lender is now going to go out and lend, lend to that business. Gotcha. And when you think about kind of that, that 7A program, so if I'm a business owner and I'm interested in taking out a 7A loan, you know, are there certain criteria or preparations that I would make that would be unique from a, a normal prep that you take for more of a traditional loan? Is there yeah. certain kind of like information, documentation? Um, sure you know, kind of homework you can do to make sure if you're going to go have that conversation with a community lender or a more traditional bank that you you kind of buttoned up and ready to go? This is where the borrower, the applicant, or the or the entrepreneur, that risk taker that wants to get into business needs to take a step back. They need to uh, reach out to our, what we call resource partner. And our resource partners will help them package their loan or application to the level that it, it meets the standards of not only the SBA, what the SBA requires, because the SBA wants uh, these applicants to take on, uh, uh, to meet with our resource partners, because it's been proven that mm-hmm. if businesses uh, uh, look for assistance, look for advice, uh, and it's provided to them, they tend to last longer than those businesses that take on the risk on their own. The banks, on the other hand, also like the fact that one of our partners is now working with the business. And together, the bank will then be introduced uh, either through the partner and the borrower to the bank. And the bank then has a little bit more confidence that the package that they're being submitted has been you know, kind of reviewed and checked by you know, professionals or people that have expertise in the subject matter where if you just walked into a bank and said, I want a $50,000 loan to open up my beauty salon, the right. bank is going to ask, where are your papers? Uh, how do you know? Have you been in business? And all of a sudden the borrower gets, not that I'm saying they get offended, but they feel now, uh, I don't think the bank's helping me on this. They're just basically right. telling me, I don't need you. But if you go to our resource partners and the, and the resource partners are SCORE, uh, the service score of retired executives, which they're now just called SCORE. They, we have off, they have seven, uh, excuse me, six uh, locations around the state with hundreds of, of professional people. They could actually match you to the industry or the business that you're doing, where they get a retired executive to work with you and help you with your business plan. Then we have the Small Business Development Center. There's a quasi organization that is funded uh, by. Uh, uh, the SBA, the state of Connecticut, and the University of Connecticut. And they're housed around the, around the state of Connecticut at various chambers, uh, town halls, and they will also work with you to help you with your business plan. Then we have the Women's Business Centers, uh, in which uh, uh, if you know, a woman wants to get into business and they, want to, and they feel more comfortable talking to other professional women, then you have the Women's Business Centers. These are all funded through one way or the other by SBA. And here's the four-letter word. It's free. You don't well, yeah, have to can, pay for this. Yeah, if I can just jump in real quick. We, um, mm-hmm. uh, like the small business development centers that you mentioned, 
Um, I know you were making reference to Connecticut because you're based in Hartford, but if you're listening to this, it's a national program. Correct. Um, so they're all over the country. In fact, there's a great one in Philadelphia near B. They, yes. they, tend to, they tend to affiliate with universities, you know, so the one in Philly is mm-hmm. Temple University, but they're, and you're absolutely right. I, I have a lot of clients that's used uh, small business development centers, SCORE, women's business, uh, you know, it, these are all free services by experienced people. Um, the small business development centers often use um, grad students and, you know, you know, PhDs, business majors at the universities, as well as uh, people external to provide advice for business owners. And uh, it's a huge service. It's a really great service. What's interesting there, you know, because you were talking about getting kind of into business. So when you think about kind of 7A programs or, or people who might be working with one of these resource partners in order to, to kind of secure money, is there kind of a preference or distribution allocation for, you know, new business owners who might not have an existing business or looking for funding for their their kind of current operation versus those who are looking for, you know, financing to kind of support existing operations? Or how does SBA kind of think about that? Is it really kind of geared towards startup or kind of, you know, growing something that might be existing? No, we, we don't have no limitations funding wise. And for instance, in each state, uh, there is no limitation. Uh, I don't have a goal. I don't set goals for my my staff, uh, the district director, uh, neither, as to whether they're they're nascent businesses, startups. Uh, Our goal is to educate everyone that needs to understand how SBA functions and how to utilize the program to the best of of their ability. Because, again, if, if, for instance, if a a business uh, wants to start up, and they're being denied by a lender, they might not know where to go. And so these these chats are the only way of communication. We don't have a budget to do advertisement. We don't advertise ourselves. Most of our information goes out by word of mouth or or through these type of uh, interviews where people then say, oh, wow, I didn't know that business, that SBA uh, provided this assistance. And then now we, we pick on these additional clients, score, uh, SBDC, the women's business centers all have goals of reaching out. They get funded to making sure that they, they reach out to any and all businesses that need assistance. They have capital goals in terms of, you know, how much money their, their, you know, that, that their program is providing into the uh, small business world. And this is how they're measured on an annual basis. And then we review that because we don't have the bodies or the individuals that do. We do a lot of the webinars and a lot of uh, the the mass uh, communication, but the one-on-ones, we try to have the, the the resource partners handle those. And not only that, you know, we reach out to the chambers, the Hispanic chambers also. Uh, we have Asian chambers. Uh, we have LGBT chambers. You know, we have a lot of organizations that really want to work with us and we try to make sure that we communicate this information to them so that their businesses can come either to us or be prepared to borrow with the bank, whichever way right. they want to go. Not everyone understands that business lending is a little bit different from personal lending or a lot bit different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's risk. It's risk. You know, but when you're thinking about mm-hmm. someone who might kind of be looking for a, a, you know, financing to start their own business. You know, some people prepare for that, you know, it's a well-calculated move over time. They kind of plan out, they might have a job, they might have a goal, they have a dream, they kind of build towards that. Sometimes, and I think during COVID, we actually saw this with the, the dramatic increase in the amount of small businesses kind of created across the country. It's this this kind of reaction to a moment in time or the pressure that kind of drives like, I could do this, or I have an idea, or I just can't do what I'm doing anymore because the world is so different 
that I kind of need a change and they might not have their credit in order. They might not have kind of that plan. What and how can people think about SBA lending for that? You know, are you really looking at the personal credit history of like an individual and then kind of like ranking that into what it might be as a, as a business owner? Is it a completely separate ball game? And do you think people get deterred or encouraged based on, you know, thoughts around that at all? I think they're, the, the drivers are that uh, technically SBA is a cash flow lender. Uh, we look towards the, the profitability of the of the operation, the the projections to make sure that that they're able to pay back. It's not a it's not a grant. Uh, these are loans. Uh, they're extended loans, unlike banks that might have uh, three and five year maximum loans. SBA loans could go seven and 10 years up to 25 years. Uh, and so what we look at uh, in terms of how we we rate a borrower. Uh, for one, we we have credit scores that are a little bit lower than than traditional lenders. Uh, the lender can use the SBA's credit score model, or they can use their own model to determine uh, credit worthiness. The other thing we look at is the ability, like I said, the ability to uh, pay back the loan. And collateral is what's on the table. You know, if they have collateral, they don't have collateral. Uh, we just want to make sure that if the business is it has collateral to to provide SBA, then SBA will will take that collateral. If they don't, that's not a condition not to to use SBA. It's up to the lender. And here here's the other thing too for those businesses that only need twenty and twenty five thousand. That and there are a lot of them out there. We have a micro loan program that's up to fifty thousand dollars. This is not through the bank. These are through community organizations that have been uh, chartered by SBA. We provide them the microloan dollars, uh, and then they are the ones that underwrite and approve the loan to that small business. And a lot of the uh, borrowers that use that program are home-based businesses. Uh, I want to uh, do a, a taco truck. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to leave my, 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 mm-hmm. you know, my 20 hour restaurant business and I want to now go into uh, having my own uh, truck. That's what that uh, loan opportunity is about. And that's called the micro loan program. And it's up to $50,000. And that's through uh, our community loan funds. You could actually go on to SBA.gov and search for micro loans and you'll see uh, the state. Each state has micro lenders. Uh, Connecticut has three. Other states might have more. And you just, oh, you call the SBA office and ask them uh, for the list of the micro lenders. And then you will reach out to the micro lenders. They will provide you with the technical assistance. They could either be your resource partner and putting through all the paperwork because most of them want you to be a viable uh, startup business. So you're going to need more of an understanding of a business plan, cash flow, that kind of stuff. Awesome. And do you, when you say those, so it's smaller amounts, but do they also tend to be a little bit more, um, you know, flexible in what they determine for credit worthiness yeah. because of those mm-hmm. amounts? Right. Because they're not your traditional bank. Right. This is a community lender. They will apply whatever their, their rules are uh, to make the loan uh, viable. And most of them will take on, uh, they, they, I, I look at some of them as being the lender of last resort, uh, where they actually uh, will go beyond the beyond to make sure that that business gets that uh, funding. Gotcha. And then I guess on the flip side of that, you know, for profitable businesses who are looking for kind of cash flow increase, do you feel like SBA programs are right for them or is it really kind of geared towards those who, who kind of need the hand up, you know? So if I'm a really profitable 
consulting firm and I don't have a ton of risk and I, I just want to grow or expand, but um, I'm probably not underserved, you know, is an SBA program right for me or is that something where you'd encourage them more to kind of look at a traditional lender? Well, what happens is we don't make that determination. The lender does. Got it. Uh, the lender in their underwriting is the one that's going to determine the risk. Mm-hmm. Some lenders in their credit policy might not want to lend to a construction company. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, you probably have uh, chaos around the country if that was to happen. Uh, and that's happened in 2008 when I was in the banking environment. Uh, construction, restaurants were the first operations that lenders did not want to lend to because while the real estate market was cl- collapsing, uh, restaurants also would have followed right through. SBA, when I moved from uh, private sector into uh, lending into the SBA, within a year, SBA expanded the guarantee to 90% to, ex- uh, to allow lenders to take on even lesser risk of an exposure so that they could lend into that. The auto industry almost got uh, ravaged in 2008. SBA went into floor planning. They never did that. Uh, allowing also for banks to lend to to uh, uh, dealers. Uh, why? Because the major auto industries were were pulling away from lending, uh, not lending, but providing the autos and the cars without some backing of collateral or something like that. SBA stood, uh, uh, came into play uh, big acro- across the country as a result of that. I just uh, I, I want to add to that as well, John. That the um, the clients that I have that are more established and that they can get traditional bank loans on their own, they generally don't go with the SBA, you know, mainly because the bankers either can give them more favorable terms or it, 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 it takes the bankers a little bit extra work to do an SBA loan. There's paperwork and stuff like that for them to do. But then I've got a lot of clients that can't get traditional banking loans or they're, they're on the bubble. Um, then they can go to an SBA lender. And you can find all those lenders, by the way, on SBA.org.gov, uh, excuse me. Um, and those lenders then can say, wow, we can do business with these people now because the government's going to guarantee you know, the, the majority, the great majority of these loans. So it's just like, you know, like Julio, like you were saying, it's the the higher the risk, the more opportunity there is for business to get an SBA loan. Um, And I think that's sort of a rule of thumb. And I think it's especially relevant right now, even just kind of at the the class level, you know, that you're talking about a little bit, Julio. So I, I do think about my restaurant people a lot. You know, and I think now is the time if they can get access to capital and kind of invest in maybe some of the changes or kind of enhancements they had to kind of make to survive during COVID. It's not a bad time to consider, you know, if if there's lending opportunities available, you know, can you put that back into your operations? Can you think about all season patios? Because I think, you know, we still don't know what we don't know about the pandemic and and local regulations and and how that's going to play out over the next couple of years. So I do get scared sometimes that is it 2008.2. Right, where you start right. to look at some some organizations and maybe where they need to hand up, you know. Julio, you should know that even though John works at the Hartford, he is a restaurant manager at Hart. Oh, so, <laughs> so he feels the pain. Here's what's interesting. And again, you know, uh, during good times, SBA performance uh, with blenders drops because uh, remember, SBA is not here to, to, to make life for a banker comfortable. We're right. here to to support those businesses that otherwise, without the SBA, they could not get any funding. Uh, and so we expect or you know, that during good economic times, SBA's guarantee programs across the board drop because why banks are lending conventionally. That's really the, the goal is for banks to do this without SBA. Right. Now, during hard times, recessions, COVID, et cetera, 
then all of a sudden, banks shy, they tighten up, they put more restrictions on credit. And as a result, SBA's uh, guarantee and lending uh, programs grow exponentially because of it. So we're kind of the reverse. In good times, our, you know, because we don't, have, we don't report to you know, the stockholders or you know, our bottom line isn't, isn't driven by how much money SBA is making. Uh, you know, we, we look at how many loans a bank makes, not dollars. Uh, that's what drives us because uh, we'd rather see a thousand loans being made by a bank than say $10 million because it has more of an impact numbers than dollars. Well, and I think it's interesting too. You know, you, you said it kind of before. It's a taxpayer program, yep. And it, and your obligation is to the community because without small businesses, we wouldn't have vibrant communities. So, you know, I I want to encourage our listeners to really kind of think about all that the SBA does have to offer, everything from mentorship to lending opportunities, just to to coaching. You know, and in, in order to get what you need, because I I think you're right. It's it's tough without an advertising budget. It's hard to get the word out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and sometimes people who might need to take advantage of resources during hard times aren't the first ones to say I'm having a hard time. So I think the work is, is important and important for people to know about. Yeah. And one of the, uh, and you know, what's interesting is that SBA just does not just focus in, in, in local initiatives. You know, we have an export program. We, we, we invest uh, a lot of money into uh, helping small businesses get into the exporting business we also have uh, one of our uh, best programs, which people don't even know about, is this. And again, the way Congress and, and government works, everything has a number or a letter. It's mm-hmm. called the 504 loan program. And the 504 is for real estate. It's to help you become an owner. We believe that if, you know, now that you own your, now that you're an owner of a business, how about wanting to own the real estate in which your business is located in? So the goal for SBA is to make you a stronger economic force within your community by providing not only money for your business and capital equipment, but now for your next step in life is to own the real estate where your business is located. And that's what we refer to as the 504 program. And under that program, uh, if, 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 you know, in general, you only have to put down 10% in terms of acquiring real estate. No lender does a, a real estate loan for a business with 10% down. Use the SBA and you can get into that building, own it with 10% down. That's awesome. No, I think this was really interesting information and I think it's going to be really helpful. So Julio, I want to thank you again for spending your morning with us. Thank um, you. you know, for sharing some of this information. And, you know, Gene, I think, you know, really good information on on kind of the programs that are available now um, as a result of, of COVID and some of the disaster parameters that are out there. I think in general, though, the core products and the services that SBA offers, you, you can't say enough about them. And they're definitely worth looking at, especially if you're someone who's thinking that you need a little bit more access or just some support. So, um, you know, for more information you know, we have our, our version of SBA, Small Biz Ahead, um, <laughs> sba.thehartford.com. If you want to check out the blog for more insights and advice on, on how you might be able to drive your small business forward. You know, we thank everyone for listening. Make sure you uh, you rate and review us and subscribe to wherever you, you do so to your podcast. I'll just know if you like content like this. Um, you know, if you have questions for us or Julio, you know, you know how to reach us. But Julio, if, if folks are local, or even national and want to get in touch with you or, or an SBA um, office, what's the best way to, to find that? 
Uh, best way to communicate with me is email because of COVID, we're, we're inundated with, with businesses from around calling us. Uh, reach me at Julio, J-U-L-I-O dot Cassiano, C-A-S-I-A-N-O at SBA.gov. So it'd be Julio dot Cassiano at SBA.gov. And I should be able to return back your your call your email or call you directly to to discuss your your particular situation. Very good. Well, thank you again for the time. Thank you, thank Julio. You. Thank you for inviting me in the SBA. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.